MSW Media. Hey, everybody. This episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by my absolute favorite daily nutritional drink, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And we thank them for their support. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, January 4th, 2022. Today, New York Attorney General Tish James has subpoenaed Ivanka and Don Jr. in her civil investigation to the Trump Organization. Immediately after that, Don Jr. and Ivanka have filed motions to quash those subpoenas. A 2009 settlement agreement between Virginia Jufree, Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein was unsealed Monday. A story in Newsweek says acting Attorney General Rosen deployed secret FBI forces on January 6th to the Capitol. And Merrick Garland will give a speech Wednesday about the progress of the 1-6 investigation. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. This is not the first, nor will it be the last time I have to ad-lib those headlines as news has been breaking uh, since I wrote the script. <laughs> Indeed. And you're so good at it, though, so I never worry. I know I'm in good hands. Thank you. Yeah. And if anyone knows how to ad-lib, it's comedians, everyone. Trust me. <laughs> Rewind, listen to it again, and see if you could tell which headlines were not <laughs> written. <No. laughs> it's actually probably pretty easy if you're listening for it. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, and... Oh, and surprise to you and me. <laughs> uh, so that story about the FBI, that was a planned one, by the way. Uh, sending in, like, shoot to kill uh, hostage negotiation teams or whatever. On January 6th is a story out in Newsweek right now. And I immediately said, you know what? I know people. I know people that know FBI stuff. So I picked up the phone, called Frank Fagluzzi. I said, hey, what's up? And he's like, let's talk about this. And we will have that discussion uh, a little bit later in the show. So you can find out what might really be going on. And uh, so that's pretty cool. And I'm very excited. Merrick Garland has decided after weekly tweets for the last month or so that I was like, you need to get up on January 6th and tell everybody what the latest is. You know, he's and, you know, we'll talk about this more. You're going to give us this story, Dana, but he's he's going to do it. So I'm very excited about that. And we'll talk about it when we do the hot notes. Hot notes. (laughs) See, comedians are also experts at segues. (laughs) I mean, we don't like to brag, but. I still love when Daniel Tosh was like, yeah, you know, yesterday I was at the mall. No, you weren't. Do your joke. I love it. (laughs) He was so funny. I actually miss watching him. I thought he was good at that job. He was hilarious. He was really hilarious. All right. First up, New York State Attorney General uh, Tish James, which last month subpoenaed Donald J. Trump as part of a civil investigation into his business practices, is also seeking to question two of his adult crotch fruit as part of the inquiry. The involvement of the children, Donald Trump Jr. and Ivanka Trump. It's just funny when they're referred to as the children. This was disclosed in court documents filed Monday as the Trump organization sought to block lawyers for the attorney general, Letitia James, from questioning the former president 
and his kids. The subpoena for the former president and two of his children were served on December 1st, according to one of the documents, Eric Trump. Another of Mr. Trump's sons was already questioned in October of 2020. That was before the whole criminal shiz was, you know, they joined forces with uh, Cy Vance and the Manhattan DA. That was before that. So they were like, yeah, cool, we can we can do this now. The attorney general's effort to interview Mr. Trump under oath became public last month, but it was not previously known that her office, which has been conducting a civil investigation into the former president's business practices for almost three years now, was also looking to question Jr. and Vonky. Ms. James's <laughs> civil inquiry is focused on whether Mr. Trump fraudulently inflated the value of his assets to secure bank loans while understating them elsewhere to reduce his tax bill. Her office has subpoenaed a number of documents as part of her scrutiny of many Trump organization properties, including Seven Springs Estate in Westchester County. Uh, we've talked about that many times with that conservation easement tax credit, but that's federal. But, you know, still, they, they, it's state bullshit as well. And the Trump International Hotel and Tower in Chicago. If her lawyers find evidence of wrongdoing, the office can file a lawsuit. As the inquiry is a civil one, James cannot file criminal charges, but James is also involved in the separate criminal investigation now being led by Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg, who was sworn in on Saturday. Previous DA, Cy Vance Jr., who had been supervising the investigation for more than three years, left office at the end of the year. In their motion filed on Monday to block questioning, lawyers for the Trump Organization and the family argued Ms. James was attempting to improperly circumvent the grand jury process and the criminal investigation by questioning the Trump family members under oath as part of the civil inquiry. Ivanka and Jr. plan on filing motions to quash the subpoenas, and ding, 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 they already have. Um, that I've shared on Twitter, and that's exactly what they're arguing. They're saying, hey, we're criminals, and if we testify <laughs> in a civil case, <laughs> you'll find out and send it to the Manhattan District Attorney, and then we'll be arrested. So you can't do that. That's what they're arguing. We'll see how it goes in court. It's probably not going to fare well. Yeah, no, I agree with you. This one comes from Adam Klasfeld at Long Crime. Now, a once confidential 2009 settlement agreement. This was signed by Jeffrey Epstein and that has figured predominantly in the lawsuit against Prince Andrew. Prince Andrew became public on Monday. And this is one day before a long anticipated court hearing involving the royal. Now, the $500,000 settlement deal contains a provision purporting to insulate quote, other potential defendants from Epstein-related liability. So Prince Andrew, now this is a little confusing, Prince Andrew has invoked this provision in attempting to fend off a lawsuit by Virginia Jufrey. And she, her married name now is Roberts, but in the story, we still have her maiden name. And she was accusing him, Prince Andrew, of sexually abusing her when she was 17 years old. So the extraordinarily broad provision stipulates that uh, Jufrey quote, remise, release, acquit, satisfy, and forever discharge the said second parties and any other person or entity who could have been included as a potential defendant, and in parentheses, other potential defendants, from all and all manner of actions and actions that may bring, whether state or federal. I know, confusing legal jargon. The prince's lawyer, Andrew Brettler, previously claimed that the agreement specifically exempted royalty as in Prince Andrew. And he said, because Prince Andrew is a senior member of the British royal family, he falls into one of the expressly identified categories of persons, i.e. royalty, released from liability under the release agreement, along with politicians, academia, Jesus, 
Academicians? How do you say that? Academicians? I, w- I would just say academics. I yeah, would. I would too. What the fuck is an academician? <laughs> and I know someone's going to write in what it is. We're going to just call academics. So this is along with politicians, academics, businessmen, and other allegedly associated with Epstein. And that's what Brettler wrote in a memo on October 29th. Now, the word royalty does not appear in the specific document released on Monday. And on point, like it just, it's not there, which is really funny. And on this point, the prince's defense briefing appears to refer to the language of Jufri's underlying lawsuit. So Jufri claims that Prince Andrew sexually assaulted her in, in three locations, Epstein's New York mansion and private island in the U.S. Virgin Islands and the London home of now convicted sex trafficker Galen Maxwell. Okay, also on Monday, the U.S. District Judge Allison Nathan who presided over Maxwell's case, asked prosecutors and defense attorneys to set a schedule for sentencing and plans for the two remaining perjury counts. So before her trial, Maxwell succeeded in severing two of the eight charges of her indictment, accusing her of lying in depositions during her lawsuit with Jufri. So the jury only heard the other six counts during her first trial, broadly breaking down into grooming minors for Epstein's abuse and sex trafficking. Now, Maxwell was convicted of five of those counts. So a little more than an hour before Maxwell's guilty verdict, two federal judges ordered the release of the Epstein agreement. This is really interesting. The U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan, who was presiding over Jufri's lawsuit with Andrew, and senior U.S. District Judge Loretta Preska, who's presiding over sprawling litigation between Jufri and who? Alan Dershowitz. Right. So after Jufri accused Dershowitz of sexual battery, Dershowitz who has called Jufri a liar that apparently he said he's never met, he actually countersued her for defamation. He also argued in 2009 the Epstein deal shielded him under a provision protecting academics associated with Epstein. So apparently this covered basically anyone associated with Epstein that was a male or female or a human at the time. It's a bullshit yeah, I didn't, coverage. I never assaulted her, and I had never even met her before. And besides, we signed a thing that says she can't come after me. Exactly. Don't know who that person is, but she definitely can't sue me. Uh, so anyway, so Prince Andrew's attorney wrote that Dershowitz's invocation of the agreement actually succeeded in his case. So that's what he's using as precedent in this in this sense. God. I know it's such God. bullshit, Mr. I kept my underwear on Dershowitz. Yeah, I didn't do anything, but... Uh, They're I, so sh- fucking gross. But, I, you know, we, we gave her $500,000 to say that. Yeah, of course. Just, in, you know, just in case. Yeah. And on Tuesday of this week, Dana, Andrew and Jufri's legal teams were are going to face off in federal court. That's today for arguments of the royal's motion to dismiss the case. The 2009 settlement will be only one of the topics at issue during the hearing. Prince Andrew has argued that the case does not belong to the Southern District of New York, claiming that Jufri exaggerated her ties to the United States and actually lives in Australia. The royal's attorney also argues uh, that Jufri was above the age of consent in New York and attacked the constitutionality of the state's Child Victims Act, which temporarily lifted the statute of limitations on cases involving allegations of sexual abuse against minors. She wasn't a minor, but even if she was, and there's that law that says that she could, there would be no statute of limitations even if she was a minor, but she wasn't, and so she can't sue me. The statute expired shortly after Jufri filed her lawsuit. If Jeffrey's lawyers can surmount the prince's varying procedural objections, they have planned a multifaceted legal offensive. The attorneys hope to undermine Prince Andrew's interview with BBC Newsnight, widely perceived to be disastrous for the royal. 
In response to Jufri's descriptions of Andrew as profusely sweating at a nightclub, <gasps> the, pr- <laughs> the prince offered a memorial denial. I have a peculiar medical condition. Oh he said, my God. Claiming that he lost the ability to sweat because of an overdose of adrenaline in the Falklands War. I'm sorry. <laughs> Couldn't have been me. I can't sweat because of the war. Jufri's attorney, David Boys, I guess is his name, said in court papers he wants to probe that claim. Quote, if Prince Andrew truly has no documents concerning his communications with Maxwell or Epstein, his travel to Florida, New York, or various locations in London, his alleged medical inability to sweat, or anything that would support the alibis he gave during his BBC interview, then continuing with discovery would not be burdensome to him at all. <laughs> and love that statement. What do we, we won't find anything. I mean, if there's nothing there. And in a statement to Klasfeld at Law and Crime, Boys reiterated that position that release is irrelevant to Jufri's lawsuit. The release doesn't mention Prince Andrew. Boise he wrote, he did not even know about it. He could not have been a potential defendant in the settled case against Epstein, both because he was not subject to jurisdiction in Florida and because the Florida case involved federal claims to which he was not part. Before Maxwell's criminal case, her legal team argued she was insulated by a different agreement. The 2008 sweetheart plea deal between Epstein and federal prosecutors in Florida, Acosta, remember, purporting to insulate his accused co-conspirators. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Southern District of New York argued that the actions of Florida prosecutors could not bind them. Judge Nathan ultimately agreed, dismissing Maxwell's challenging and reading the case for trial. Boyce argued that the same is true for Jeffrey's civil settlement, signed in the Southern District of Florida, when his client was known as Jane Doe Number 102. The settlement agreement contains a clause shielding the plaintiff's anonymity, which is no longer relevant, as Jeffrey has since gone public, in court, and to the press. The actual parties to the release have made clear Prince Andrew was not covered by it. That's what Boyce continued to say in a statement to Long Crime. Lastly, he says, the reason we sought to have the release made public was to refute the claims being made about it by Prince Andrew's PR campaign. We wanted this to go public. So for the rest of this story, you need to read and subscribe for free to lawandcrime.com and follow Klasfeld Reports on Twitter. He's got all the latest for you. It is worth it. Definitely do it. And AG Attorney General Merrick Garland will address the DOJ in a speech tomorrow on efforts to hold accountable those responsible for the unprecedented attack on the Capitol on January 6th. Now, Garland, quote, he will reaffirm the department's unwavering commitment to defend Americans and American democracy from violence and threats of violence. End quote. That's what the DOJ said. The Justice Department says the AG will not discuss cases against specific people or specific criminal charges, but rather, quote, the department's solemn duty to uphold the Constitution, follow the facts and the law, and pursue equal justice under law without fear or favor. Awesome. Awesome. Keep in mind, he's not going to be telling us directly whether the Department of Justice is investigating the leaders of the insurrection. He will probably say something like, we will hold accountable all those responsible for the attack on the Capitol. <laughs> for or sure. Something like that. Which a bunch of people will take to mean only the boots on the ground people. And the other bunch of people will take to mean everybody who was involved. Anyway, Newsweek, by the way, has that story out about Ray, Chris Ray, and Rosen, acting attorney general at the time, Jeffrey Rosen, deploying their super secret shoot to kill FBI teams to the Capitol January 6th. So, like I said, I immediately called my friend Frank Figlusi to suss it out, see what he has to say about the veracity of the reporting right after this short break. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, Beans listeners, it's AG, and today's show is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Getting a good night's sleep is essential to our health and well-being, as you know. And I've had a long time problem with sleeping. I toss and turn all night, get anxious, feel exhausted, night sweats. 
But then I found Helix Sleep after taking their quick online sleep quiz. And I realized I had a mattress made for someone else. <laughs> so to get the best night's sleep of your life, go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and Helix will match your sleep preferences and your body type with a mattress that's perfect for you. They have soft, medium and firm mattresses. Mattresses ideal for regulating body temperature if you sleep hot. They have ones that are great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. And even a Helix Plus for our beautiful plus size sleepers. My quiz matched me with the Helix Midnight because I'm a medium firm mattress person and I sleep on my side, so it's perfect for me. And now I wake up feeling refreshed and rested and energized. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews and was awarded the best overall mattress pick of 2020 by both GQ and Wired Magazine. Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a solution for improving your sleep. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps, risk-free. They even have financing options and flexible payment plans available, so a great night's sleep is never far away. And Helix right now is offering up $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Everybody, welcome back. Happy to be joined today by the author of The FBI Way, host of the Bureau podcast on MSW Media, and my friend, former assistant director for counterintelligence at the FBI. Did I get that right, Frank? You you did. The, the friend part, yes. And, every, <laughs> and, and, and everything else. Everything else. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. Yeah. Because if you had said, well, everything but the friend part, right. that's that a my, problem. Yeah. my feelings would have been a little hurt. Frank Vigaluzzi, welcome. Welcome to the Beans. So interesting article out in Newsweek exclusive. Let me read you the lead. It says on Sunday, January 3rd, this is last year, the heads of uh, half a dozen elite government special ops teams met at Quantico, Virginia, to go over potential threats, contingencies and plans for the upcoming joint session of Congress, January 6th. The meeting and the subsequent deployment of these shadowy commandos on January 6th has never before been revealed. And also, Frank, of note, not being revealed by anyone else but yeah. Newsweek. Yeah. I'm wondering what your top line thoughts well, are on this, because the the language is a little flowery. Yeah. Anybody tells you, you know, they're they're uh, they're they're revealing something that's never been revealed before. You you should pay special attention and and at least one or both eyebrows should go up. So mine, both of my eyebrows went up and um, we can we can walk through this. It, it's, it certainly has my attention. And kudos to this Newsweek reporter, if indeed he's got um, he's got something that no one else has. And uh, more importantly, if indeed it's true, there are some serious questions. Let, let's walk through what this this basically says. Um, it claims, um, as never before, that the FBI, through its hostage through through two elements, its hostage rescue team, which I'm going to talk about in a second, and then its re- render safe capabilities and responsibilities, which I'm not going to talk about. Uh, <laughs> and I'll explain that. I'll explain that. Uh, were were deployed on January 6th and. Other units, special commando type units of, of the U.S. government were similarly coordinated and deployed by uh, an order to be deployed by then Attorney General Rosen. He, uh, the author of this article mixes authorities, talks about Trump authorizing some things, talks about Rosen and justice unilaterally authorizing some things. And then even claims, this is again the first time I've heard this, that one of the first tactical teams inside the Capitol after the uh, insurrection, was the uh, an element of the FBI's HRT, which I I have no prior knowledge of, and and I have people telling me it's not true. And a second element of the hostage rescue FBI's hostage rescue team was also 
uh, sent to augment Secret Service and protect Pence, um, who this author claims refused to leave the Capitol, which is another thing that I, I've, I've not been told, nor do I believe. So, Well, he, he did refuse to leave the Capitol, but it's the other stuff. Well, I have to tell you. Oh, in the book, though, I, right? I, in a book. I have, well, with regard to the alleged story that Pence turned to his Secret Service uh, special agent in charge of his detail and said, uh, you know, something like, I trust you, Tim, but I'm not getting in that car. You know, I don't trust where the Secret Service will take me. I'm getting people telling me that's absolutely not true. Mm, okay. so, anyway, let's get to the, the points of this article. What people may be, your listeners may be saying, what, what the heck is the FBI has to rescue team? And how is that different than, than an FBI SWAT team? It is SWAT on steroids. It is a large um, special ops team of FBI agents and personnel who are full-time um, special operators uh, who operate like a Navy SEAL team or a, or a Delta team. In fact, um, I don't know if this is still true, but part of the requirements was that they had to go through one of the military special ops training like Navy SEALs or, uh, or uh, you know. SEER or something? No, no, no. They, I mean, they literally had to go through SEAL training or Ranger training. In addition to the hostage rescue team training, they had to have, uh, you have to have a, a few years of FBI agent experience, have to have served on a SWAT team. They are the fail safe 24 seven, you know, give us two or two to three hours notice and we'll be on a, a C-130 to your city and taking care of business when your FBI SWAT team in your town can't handle or, or, you know, we, and, and they, they had a significant role in combat theaters in Iraq and Afghanistan with regard to uh, um, clearing safe houses, protecting FBI personnel, responding to IED scenes, et cetera. So they, they've, they've seen combat time and, and all of that. It's, it's, a, it's a very unique skill set that was established in response to concerns about the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics, oh. where LAPD at the time, I'm giving a little bit of history here, take what you wish from it. But at the time, this is kind of interesting stuff, 84 LA Olympics, LAPD was like the premier SWAT team in the country. And, you know, I'm sure New York PD would argue with that. But they said, hey, if any, if there's any terrorism at the 84 Olympics, we've got this. We've got it. And, uh, and the White House is like, uh, wait, wait a minute. I, how many times have you worked against terrorists? So this FBI team was created. That's where it comes from. And they they do really cool things. Uh, all the things you can see in movies. They can assault a, you know a ship and and captain it at sea. They can take an airplane over. Blah blah blah. They can take an embassy back. Okay, render safe. That I won't talk about is a essentially highly classified mission that the FBI has in connection with some other agencies, and it's essentially to detect and protect our country from a, a nuclear, biological, radiological, chemical attack. The fact that this team is out there at things like uh, special events, inaugurations, blah, blah, blah. That's a shrug of my shoulders. They're out there a lot. You don't, you'll never see them. And thank God they're out there. That that I'm not, you know, the fact that it's alleged that the Render Safe team was out there on January 6th, if that's even true, that's interesting because it gets to the much larger question, right? Which is what the author asserts, which is, quote, the FBI anticipated the worst. Hmm. Well, you know, from Chris Ray's testimony and others that he said, eh, you know, we had some intel, we passed it along. Eh, we, you know, that's not anticipating the worst. So we, you know, Houston, we have a problem. Was, was the HRT and, and the cat, you know, the, the cat team from Secret Service and blah, blah, blah. Were they, were they ready to go? Were they there? Were they, did they get in the building? 
Were they pre-deployed, as the author of this article says? Or eh, we uh, we saw some intel and sent an email to the Capitol Police. We, we, you know, th- this is a this is a problem. Right. Because my main question would be, well, if, if those elite forces were there, why didn't they stop this attack on the Capitol? Bingo. So you, you've just digested the you know, this is the crux of this question. So if all of these teams knew this, as this reporter alleges, they pre-deployed, they met, they had. Oh, by the way, let's not forget the, the infamous quote, quote in the article. They had shoot to kill authority. And if I read it correctly, that came from Trump, which makes a lot of sense from Trump. Um, let me let me talk a bit about shoot to kill. OK, uh, no. So so it doesn't work that way. It, it this came up years ago, more history in a, in a tragedy at Ruby Ridge, which was a militia group that the FBI got called into after some horrible things had happened with another agency that I won't go into. As usual, the bureau got into clean up, called in to clean up a mess. And um, with some very violent people and infamously a high ranking FBI executive at the time gave them essentially he changed the FBI's use of force policy for just this special occasion and, and said something like, you know, shoot to kill or if you see him shooting. OK, that went really badly for that individual executive and unfortunately for for an agent or two on the scene. So um, you don't change you don't change deadly force policy. Are there special commando type situations where let's say you have a suicide bomber in a vest and instead of aiming for center of mass, you might aim at the head because you're a highly trained sniper? Of course, because you may not want to set off the vest. Sure. That's not. Yeah, but but that's not a rule change. That's not how it always is. That's right. You are always shooting to neutralize the target. So this and, and all the other things in this article make me really skeptical about veracity. But the bottom line is this is why we have a January 6th select committee. This person, I've read it through twice. I don't understand the sourcing on this. Where, where is this coming from? So, for example, if someone is talking to a reporter about render safe deployment, that's, that's a leak of top secret classified information. So where's that coming from? Where he doesn't even tell us a, a, a source in a position to know who, who's telling him this. The only thing he mentions is, uh, somebody within the FBI or something, uh, something along those lines. Okay. One single. And a single source, not not a corroborated thing. Yeah. And so, you know, you you read this headline. The headline does its job, right, to get you to open the article. Yeah, Yeah, it does. It does. But, I, you know, look, I've always had questions. You and I may may have even talked about it on previous episodes. I've always had questions. Where was the HRT? I, I was it's my understanding they were they came in after the fact and were never actually in the building that it was all the press reported was. And I saw evidence of this with insignia was that it was uh, FBI Baltimore SWAT and FBI Washington field SWAT. And from from just my perspective of looking at things on the media, that's what it looked like to me. Didn't look like HRT to me. I've always asked about where the, the Secret Service counter assault team it was and where they you know, this is the kind of the FBI equivalent. They travel with the president. They're snipers. They do it all. Where were they if they had intel that Pence was in danger? And yes, you don't publicize their presence, but but where were they? And so, you know, lots of interesting things here that beg the question, if the FBI was so worried that they deployed these kinds of resources, why, as you said, why couldn't they have stopped it? Yeah. And why was Pence and his team relegated to a loading dock in a parking garage and refusing to leave the Capitol, quote unquote, if, you know, if that wasn't the case, it, it just seems, I don't know, it seems 
a little out there. Yeah, um, we need answers. We, we need answers. And again, if half of this is true, that these resources were deployed, uh, hostage rescue teams that render safe to January 6th based on intelli- available intelligence, which, by the way, I will note, if, you know, if that's true, they got that part right. They got that part right. What, you know, yes, indeed, you better deploy those resources to an insurrection at the Capitol. But what the heck happened? At, why weren't they used to intervene and stop it? Bizarre. It seems like if you're Ray and you're testifying before Congress, who's mad at you for not doing enough and you did this, you would no. say that. you Right. Did but it. then, of course, so let's put let's do the conspiracy thing. Come on, let's do it. So then okay. if you say that, well, Congress, I, I as FBI director was so concerned that I had the forethought to deploy my most capable resources. Okay. And you let the Capitol Police Department then try to fend off these people? Why did you do that? So maybe he's holding back on this. I, I don't know. We, we have got to get these answers. And, and this is where Historically, I've not been a big fan of congressional investigations because, you know, I've kind of got that FBI swagger that, you know, nobody does it better than the Bureau. But in this case, we need the transparency that a congressional investigation will give. Yeah. And I uh, seem so far from what we know, and I think we only know a tiny fraction of what has happened or what's been happening behind the scenes. It seems like the the one six committee is is doing a really thorough job, and uh, I hope that stuff like this, and I imagine it will be, will be covered, especially when they comes to those public hearings. It needs to be, and also, I it's a good time for me to thank you for what you're doing online, which I watch with great uh, appreciation. That you you have the ability to quickly kind of put people into a calmer place in terms of saying, "Calm down," uh, you know, they're doing their job. Um, we're getting there. It's slow. It takes time. I think you and I will be the first ones to scream bloody murder if things aren't happening. Um, but we also have to understand that there's some law that we have to abide by, which is happening also. Criminal defendants get due process. It, it can gum up the works for people who want to abuse it, but it's there for yeah. a reason. And um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, particularly with the Department of Justice, if in fact they're waiting to get criminal referrals to begin uh, an investigation, which doesn't make sense to me. They would start from the ground up and they aren't being restrained, according to Garland. But even if that were the case, I would I would be angry about that, uh, no. you know, but uh, and I'd no. be the first person to say it. But, you know, we we simply don't know no. at this point. And and, you know, we'll get the public hearings this year. We might not see indictments if there are indictments, if there is enough evidence that raises up to criminal ability to convict, to indict and maintain a conviction. If we even get that, that, that could be 2023. I think I don't I, I think people are um, getting a false uh, uh, binary equation here, which is to say there, that it's not mutually exclusive that DOJ would prefer to have criminal referrals from the committee for, for obvious reasons. It is a uh, bipartisan committee, whether Republicans like that or not. <laughs> and, and at the same time, simultaneously, they they could be going furiously and investigating what they can without being very, very overt about it. And for those who say, well, we haven't had a leak yet that looks like a grand jury, well, <laughs> you know, well, okay, that just, uh, just a reminder, that's how it's supposed to work. That, that's, how they, that's how they got Bannon. Um, and we're not supposed to have leaks. Yeah, and you, and you wouldn't, early on in your investigation, try to get a recalcitrant, loud, shitty witness in front of a grand jury that you save those for last if you bring them in front of a grand right. jury. And maybe all. after that criminal referral. 
that they're hoping may come. Yeah. So, you know, that- right from a bipartisan committee or a nonpartisan inspector general who has been looking into the DOJ part of this since January 24th. When I when I hear Chairman Benny Thompson literally use the same language in an interview that he gave briefly in the hallway as is used in FBI questioning in an FD302 interview of an oath keeper, that gets my attention uh, with regard to, oh, yeah, we're looking at Congress members and staffers. Hmm, Same question FBI asked an oath keeper. Okay. Yeah. And staffers, very important little uh, caveat there. And then, of course, we do know Sidney Powell. There is a federal grand jury investigating Sidney Powell and her PACs and the $14 million she raised and what that funded. And that is a criminal investigation. The only reason we know about it is because someone who testified to that grand jury went and talked to reporters and they are they're allowed to do that if they want to. So, well, we'll see. Uh, We'll see what happens. But thank you. And uh, I appreciate everybody. Check out the FBI way. And of course, listen to the Bureau. Absolutely amazing podcast. I appreciate your time, Frank, for Glutzy. Thanks. Take care. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG. This portion of the show is brought to you by Athletic Greens the health and wellness company that makes daily nutrition simple and convenient and amazing and tasty. Because stress, poor sleep, hectic schedules can make it difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and provide your body with the nutrients you need. But AG1 by Athletic Greens is changing all of that. It is a category-leading superfood product that brings comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition to everyone. And just one tasty scoop of AG1 has 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multimineral, probiotics, green superfood blend, and more in one convenient daily serving. Uh, I like to take AG1 with water first thing in the morning before I go on my run and before I have my coffee to give my body what it needs to start a workout. Plus, I have a lot of gaps in my diet, nutritional gaps in my diet, because I'm paleo and I intermittently fast. And AG1 fills those gaps, right? Because their special blend of high-quality bioavailable ingredients work together to fill the nutritional gaps. It's amazing. Effectively replaces multiple products and pills with one healthy, delicious drink. And like I said, it also fits keto as well as paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. AG1 also contains less than one gram of sugar. It has no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial anything. And it tastes amazing. I love the fact also that the research changes. So, so does AG1. Most nutritional products never evolve. Once they hit the market, they stay the same. But Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve AG1 based on the latest research and science. They've produced 53 improvements over the last decade alone and counting. So I highly recommend you give it a try. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply head over to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health, fill those gaps in your diet, and give AG1 a try. You'll be glad you did. Everybody, welcome back. Thanks to Frank. What a cool dude for coming on and telling us about that. He really is. He, re- he really is. And we have good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. I'm very excited about this. And if you have any you, Thank goodness. you want to share with us, you can uh, submit your good news. Pod pet picks, find the cat, what the mutt. I'm still taking and will always take Halloween photos, holiday recipes. It's still, hey, my birthday's coming up in three weeks. I'm going to need some holiday recipes. So you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Let's see here. First up from Sherry. No pronouns given. Happy New Year to my fave badasses. This one just wants to say she's glad it's over so she can take this damn Tinkerbell scarf off. (laughs) And I'll grab this next one, too. This puppy is so adorable. 
Uh, from Lori, pronoun she and her. Hi, Queens of the Bean. I have some wonderful news to share about two of my students. I teach inside our county jail, and two students finished their classes a few days ago, so their moms got a high school diploma for Christmas. They're still inside, but they're excited to make their moms proud. Thanks for all you do, and your good news helps me be the person that brings joy to each student interaction. That's amazing. Very nice. What a cool job. I love that. What a cool job. Right? Like Andy Dufresne out there. Right? <laughs> all right, let's keep it moving. This is from Adam, pronouns he and him. Good news. Hello, Allison, Dana, and Amy. Hello. Love you guys. You are my morning dose of news. I feel simpatico with you. And when we reached the same conclusion simultaneously about the import of the January 6th committee's moves or Garland strategy, I feel vindicated. I have such good news. I lost <laughs> I lost my job in t- <laughs> I love you all. I lost my job in 2020 due to COVID-related stuff and struggled to find the right fit after being knocked off my feet. This January, I will start at the VA as a psychologist treating trauma and relationship issues. Awesome. I did not serve myself, but I am a patriot, and I have been in deep reverence of those who did, and I feel honored by the position and the chance to give back to those who served. And Allison, it feels great to be providing this service knowing what you have disclosed to the Beans community. Thanks for helping me stay sane during a long period of underemployment, well said, and self-doubt. As for pet tax, here's my dog Moose, who sits in chairs like he thinks he's people. (laughs) Notice the bone-shaped mark on his chest. And here's a second pick with him and the whole gang, the three black cats who form his posse and whom we often cannot tell apart. We've got Fitz Chandler and Mr. Josephine. <laughs> Mr. P.S. Josephine is rad. I know. P.S. We thought Mr. Josephine was female for the first year of Hisher. I like that. Hisher life. And so just renamed, added the Mr. to his name. <laughs> Mr. Josephine. Oh, the bone shape on the chest is amazing. That's awesome. Oh, my God. That is super cute. And I do love the way the dog is standing. (laughs) (laughs) And um, by the way, Adam, you're going to love working for the VA. It's a truly incredible organization, I have to say. And thank you. Thanks for that service. It's glad that you're there. Absolutely. Next up from Jules, no pronouns given. Hello, beautiful ones. I'm so very happy to have you back this morning. Yesterday was a difficult one for me. I had not slept well and was plagued with bad dreams involving my narcissistic ex-husband. Woke up to gray, rainy Seattle day and discovered that all the sugar gliders had gotten out of their cage overnight. (laughs) Oh my God, I love those things. But only one of them came out to find me when he heard me in the morning. We could not find our little gonzo anywhere and we left the doors to the laundry closet open. Bad, bad habit. So I was really worried that he had gone into the walls through the water pipe hole. I spent the day trying not to worry about him, easier said than done, hoping you'd just come out in the evening for some food and water. We set our little live mouse trap with honey and bananas, and then I tried not to think about him stuck in the walls or worse yet, trapped in the crawl space under the house. Between the lack of sleep, bad dreams, and my worry, I was having a very hard time not spiraling into depression. The very happy good news yesterday was that after a three-week vacation in the hospital, my dad finally got to go home to mom yesterday. But with the mood I was stuck in and the weirdness of that whole ordeal, even that couldn't calm my soul. So last night before Mm -hmm. bed, with no sign of Gonzo, I started coming to terms with the reality that he was most likely stuck or trapped somewhere and unable or too scared to find his way back. You know how you know what the most likely outcome of something is, but you still hang on to hope that the weird, unexpected thing will be the reality? Well, I had just gotten booted from that train of thought, and the last hopes were slipping from my grip. We decided that the last ditch effort, we needed to set a live trap in the crawl space so that we were doing everything we could think of, knowing that it probably wouldn't work, though. 
So I filled another trap, grabbed a towel from the shelf above the dryer, thinking he could at least have something soft to curl up in and stay dryish and warmish. Let's face it, it was for my comfort. And we went out in the pouring rain, and I mean pouring, to open the crawl space. But the entrance was a bit flooded, so husband went to look for his rain boots. Thank God for this, because as I was standing there on the doorstep, out of the rain, holding the towel, trap, and lantern in my arms, I felt something moving against my body. What the hell? Oh my God, oh my God, are you kidding me? I screamed at Tony. I found him and ran into the house, unfolded the blanket. And there the little shit was looking at me like, um, hello. So all day I struggled to keep my heart from breaking and finally given to that overwhelming sense of doom I've been living under for the last two years. That little furry asshole was curled up, warm and comfy in a stack of towels. And I almost put him in the crawl space. So uh, happy new year. Thanks for starting my days with me. Picture of our two fluff balls <laughs> in their ball pit and one of them in my pocket. <gasps> oh my God. Okay. So I keep seeing videos of sugar gliders, like basically jump up from the bed and grab people's fingers <laughs> to get food. And my heart explodes every time I think they're the most phenomenal little furry animals. They're so cute. I'm so glad you found him. Oh my God. Ugh. That's wonderful. So, so cute. Mm. Oh my goodness. Well, AG, I do have a little bit of good news. And so if I may, not really my final thoughts, but it could be. Everyone, I am going back live on the road. Um, I'm just going to start booking a few small rooms in different cities just so everyone feels safe and I'm safe. But my first show, my first live comedy show is going to be in New York City. So if you're in the New York area, it's going to be Wednesday, February 9th. It's a 7 p.m. show at the Green Room 42 in Times Square. Ooh. I would absolutely love to have as many beans there as possible. So if you want to go, tickets are available now. They are starting at $19. It's a totally reasonable show. And so you're going to go to the greenroom42.venutix.com. The greenroom42.venutix.com. You'll be able to scroll down, find my show, and I really hope to see you there. So I'm going to be mentioning it a few times over the next few weeks, but the show must go on. We're going to be safe vaccinated or tested and masks. So we're going to make sure you're safe and I'm safe, but I cannot wait to get back out there. Uh, awesome. And you're going to get to hang out with Mary. I do hope I will see our dear friend. Maybe I can even get her to come to the show. <laughs> yeah, if she could leave her little menagerie that she's got now with her. Oh my God, the new kitten and everything. New little void kitten who's just beautiful. And of course, Linda and, and uh, and Sebastian, who's just so funny. Every time I go to her house, he just looks at me like sideways, like almost upside down. Just has this so cute. One little eye on me. He's so adorable. It's a cool African gray, right? Is that right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to, yep, African gray. They're amazing parrots. I'm sure someone else listening to this has one. Their vocabulary is massive. They're very smart and they live like 75 years. So for those people that, you know, want an animal, but they feel like they want more of a lifelong companion, African greys are great for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Mary's is especially awesome. Yeah. All right. That is the show. Do you have any final thoughts or was that kind of your final thought? It's kind of my final thought. Yeah. Come out, support live comedy. We're going to be safe. And I do believe by February 9th, I really feel that the, this crazy surge is going to burn out and we're going to be much safer than anyway. Yeah, hopefully that is the case. And uh, and you know, I, I absolutely appreciate every single show that you do and every function that you do is always goes the extra mile for, for COVID safety and concern. So appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, maybe I'll get some... Uh, some of the folks I know we had a couple beans crew went to Fire Island last year and hopefully uh, they'll they'll come to this one in the city should be rad 
February 9th. Awesome. All right. That is the show. If you, uh, again, have any good news or anything you want to submit, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. If you just want to say hi, you know, I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Say hi to us. <laughs> cool. Yeah. This community is is so awesome. And it's just, I, I absolutely love us. So I appreciate everything that y'all send in. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. And tomorrow, I'll be talking with Mr. Glenn Kirshner about um, justice matters. So you definitely want to take a look at that. And I just found out I'm going to be talking to Pete Strzok again on this coming Sunday's Mueller, she wrote, which should just be it's just going to it's the Pete and AG show. I mean, he's I think he's been on the last three weeks. <laughs> oh, my God, that's hysterical. But we're going to talk about the the hacker that was, you know, the Russian hacker that's being extradited from uh, abroad. And uh, it's just a pretty cool story. Spy stuff. Great. Russian spy stuff. So. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, who else would you call? you got to call Pete Strzok. Yeah, when you're talking Russians. Yeah, there's no other. Yeah. Yeah. It's for choice. The best choice. Yep. Yep. All right, everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for the Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.